Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry Podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today, we discuss the gift of strategic planning for our congregational youth ministries with Dr. Mark Blanke. I am a planner by nature. I'm always making lists, checking calendars, planning out the details, both for work and at home. Um, and when I got into ministry, I found that I was maybe uh, chronically, I'm going to say over planning. Um, I would plan out every minute of an event uh, with every possible contingency. I would overwhelm my adult leaders with directions. Um, I loved looking at the big picture and strategic planning out what kinds of events, Bible studies, connections would be in our goals. Uh, but unfortunately, um, my passion for planning didn't always include enough input from others or time for us to jointly examine what God was doing in our youth ministry. Uh, so I had to learn to let go of that a little bit. Um, so I'd be more flexible, be willing to uh, to throw out my plans if more important and valuable things came up. Um, and so I learned to take my time with strategic planning, getting input from others, um, and bringing all of God's resources to the ministry. It's uh, Some people are real big planners. Uh, some people are not planners. <laughs> it could be all sorts of places on the spectrum there. Uh, and, and everybody's bringing different gifts to that. But uh, I certainly had to learn pretty early on that I maybe needed to... Uh, plan slightly less intensively, uh, both for me and for my ministry. <laughs> so well, certainly strategic planning isn't always easy. Moving a group of people together in one direction is a beautiful thing, but it takes work and investment. And bringing unity with diverse working styles, time commitments, and personalities can be a struggle at times. There's always that balance, like you said, Juliana, between planning big and little details and for allowing for spontaneity and flexibility in the midst of ministry. However, planning around the big picture goals and desired outcomes helps integrate people of different gifts and works to bring unity in the ministry process and outcomes. This planning reminds people of the purpose behind their service and supports the stewardship of their gifts and time and talents. And through that work, youth then are able to see clearly the care and thought that goes into the time and resources invested in them that they may know their savior for a lifetime. So whether you're a planner like me or you're someone who puts together youth ministry on a women of prayer, I don't understand you. I don't I don't understand how that works. But some people make it happen and it's beautiful. Um, there's always something that we can do to strategically plan for our youth ministry. So helping us to think through how we do that is uh, Dr. Mark Blanke, who wrote the Strategic Planning for Youth Ministry chapter in Connected for Life. Uh, Dr. Mark Blanke is the DCE Program Director and Director of Strategic Planning and University Institutes and Director for the Institute of Religious Education at Concordia University, Nebraska. He also teaches courses in confirmation ministry, adult education, leadership development, and DCE practicum. Dr. Blanke earned a bachelor's and master's degree in parish education from Concordia, Nebraska, as well as a master's in counseling and guidance from California Lutheran University and a doctorate in adult education from Northern Illinois University. Prior to coming to Concordia, Nebraska in 1995, Blanke served as DCE and Lutheran Elementary School Principal in California and taught at Concordia University, Chicago. Dr. Blanke, welcome to Engel's podcast. Uh, that's quite a list of 
things that you have uh, accomplished and, and gifts that you're bringing to the church. Uh, we got to hear a little there, but tell us about what you do at Concordia, Nebraska, and uh, other vocations and things that bring you joy. Yeah, thank you, Juliana and Mark, and thanks for having me. Um, you know, the opportunities that I've been given are mostly by the grace of those who work with me who are willing to allow me to do um, strange and sometimes uh, uh, ineffective things. But uh, right now, I, I spend my energy kind of working on a team for our uh, DCE program. Spend the most most of my time is working with students who um, who are just exceptional in in most ways. And there's always a couple of glitches, but they're great people. <laughs> And uh, I get great joy from that. Um, the, I find that the students today, one of the characteristics is that they, they have a, um, a deeper understanding of how their faith should affect their lives. Uh, and I, I relate it to when I was in, in college, and I don't think I had that depth of understanding. So I learned quite a bit from them and, and appreciate that opportunity. Uh, they're great people. I work with great colleagues and um, I also get to spend time trying to direct the institution's strategic planning efforts, <clears throat> which is a, um, uh, it, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, I think of the Old Testament prophets that got called uh, and they were called to prophesy and then <laughs> to be uh, uh, killed and disowned <laughs> by the people of God. And that's a little bit of the job of being a director of strategic planning at a university. There's, it's not always a, uh, uh, you're not always welcome with open arms, but we continue, we plug on, and uh, I take some enjoyment in doing it also. So it's it's a good life so far. Well, that's great. Well, as a first-time guest, we would love to hear a little bit about your journey to servant leadership in the church. What was a key moment from your youth in particular where Jesus brought you closer to him or his church? Yeah, I had some chance to think about this. I saw this question. I appreciate you giving me a couple of the questions in advance. And so I thought about this and I kind of have, have weird <laughs> components to tag on to. This, this is more connected me with the church and with my role as a, as a servant leader than it did necessarily building my faith journey with Christ. So uh, there were three instances and they don't seem like they're related, but trust me, they are. When I get through them, we'll see whether you see the connection. <laughs> First one, I had a very active uh, senior high youth ministry that I was a part of in my uh, church. My dad was a pastor, and uh, the youth ministry program at the church in San Jose is where I grew up. was a was a great experience. Um, and there was a retreat that we were on. I think I was a junior at the time, and at that retreat, there was uh, uh, four of us that were had been good friends for three years. It's a snow retreat. We just rented cabins up in Lake Tahoe, and um, as we were getting ready, as everybody's figuring out where they were going to stay, um, two girls and two guys, myself being one of the guys, were good friends, had done everything together, just friends. It was all completely platonic. And we asked one of the leaders, we said, can we stay in the same room? And so there were two queen beds in this room. And um, my, my male friend and I would sleep in one bed and the two females would sleep in the other. And at that experience that counselor who is probably just at their wits end trying to coordinate all of these kids. We had too many kids show up and too small of cabins said, yeah, okay, you can do that, but I'm going to trust you. And it's up to you guys to be, to be appropriate. And, and we were, we were appropriate and we reflected on it several times. We said, I can't believe they let us stay in this room together. We just were shocked by it. Now we had gone 
camping together and stuff. We had been in many situations where we had uh, had that opportunity, but for our church to do that, we felt we were really given some authority, some responsibility that we hadn't had before. And and now I, I want to give a caveat here. I am not advocating this as a standard operating procedure as you're out there, but it was a significant point for us as juniors in high school to get that opportunity. Then um, shortly after I was on the, the board for the youth and uh, they were they needed to raise money. It was a fundraising plan and they didn't have an idea of what you know, what we should do. And I came up with the idea that we should do a ping pong a-thon where we'd play ping pong for 24 hours and raise money through that. Um, one of the pastor that was in charge of the youth ministry program said, that sounds stupid, but if you want to do it, you can do it. And I thought, sweet, this is great. And so I was in charge of it because everybody else thought it was a dumb idea. And I was in charge of it. It was very successful. In fact, they did it for four years after every year they did a ping pong a-thon. The third one was we, we, when we were in, um, um, we were, it was a Lenten service and the youth group was, was tasked with putting together something for that service. This was in the seventies when you, there was a lot of people objected to drums and guitars and everything else in the church, but we went whole hog on the <laughs> drums and the distortion bars. And it was, it was really, it was really rock and roll right at this church. And people got hacked off about it and were angry and there were meetings called and everybody got together and the pastoral staff who had screened what we were going to do in advance really stood up for us and said, look, this is the youth are a part of this congregational ministry too. And they, they took this on and um, we're backing them. We're supporting them. So all of this formed for me, this connectedness with the church. I found out that a, they trusted me right? To be an adult, to act like an adult. They released to me to do things. And when I perhaps screwed up or we went off the tracks a little bit, they backed me. So those that endeared me to the, the role within the congregation. And then I got to Concordia and I actually, I looked for this, this book. I, I had this uh, book when I was in class. It was called Let My People Go. Um, and that's where it came together. This book, which was written in 1980, I forget what prof even used it, but it talked about the priesthood of all believers and the role of the church to help equip people to be active in the ministry that God has already given them. And that, boom, it put it all together. And I thought, here's how these incidents had built up to a point where I decided to be in professional church work and, and was able to see the connectedness with God's plan, which was to have his people active in his ministry and not just recipients of his ministry. So kind of a weird, uh, diffused way of getting to where I'm getting. But those instances really were were uh, in transformative in many ways for me in ter- terms of understanding my role as a part of Christ's church. So, uh, yeah, for what it's worth. But don't allow your youth to sleep in the same room. That's I want to make sure I'm clear about that. But it just worked in that instance. <laughs> Well, I have to imagine like through those situations, I, I'm guessing there were probably multiple conversations that took place where relationships were built, learning oh, took yeah. place. And because there was a caring foundation that was developed, how you came to understand that and your your role in that. So that's a beautiful thing. It, it really it really elevated the expectations on me. I mean, I, I needed to live up to those expectations by being appropriate. And and so that that's why it worked for me. I think part of that is that it wasn't just a program 
that like we put you in a leadership program and we did that, but we created an environment where you knew you were trusted. You knew you had the ability to do things. You people had your back. And so that could look like a lot of things in a lot of congregations. I think we get very caught up in designing a program that does those things when in fact, sometimes it is just letting a kid go. Like, I think that's ping pong a a dumb idea, but sure. I mean, feel free <laughs> and, 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 uh, and allowing and releasing them and having in their back. I think all are really, really powerful, powerful pieces. And we'll talk a little bit later. You get into how you can might, um, you know, incorporate some of those ways of giving meaningful input and leadership to your teens as a part of this chapter. But to kind of get us started, not everybody uh, is going to do the same, maybe uh, intense level of planning for every second uh, that I typically do um, and that annoys most of my leaders. Uh, but you're probably choosing curriculums, games, programming that you hope connects young people to the gospel. So tell us a little bit about what is strategic planning for youth ministry and how is that different than just event planning? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I don't want to be accusatory here, Julia, but but not everybody's OCD, right? So um, yeah, mm. <laughs> it's, uh, fair. Um, fair. It, now, yeah, it, it. In fact, sometimes that actually can get in the way. It did for me. I'm OCD uh, to an extent, and I've got control issues. Uh, I want it to be done right. I always feel like I can do it best, and so actually, my overt planning. Uh, was actually detrimental to the development of the program because I had to step in, and in doing so, I I put students more into a into a recipient mode instead of a resource mode. So so planning, excessive planning, can be detrimental to achieving your overall picture. And I know that because that that was part of my ministry. I was I overdid right. So um, so it's very easy to differentiate strategic planning. Strategic planning gives you your overall guiding principles. Um, and these aren't rules of what not to do. It's, it's principles about where are we headed? What, what, what's the rationale for whatever we're doing? Uh, I always say to my students, what's your why behind what you're doing? And so if you're planning an event, uh, you just have to be able to, so a way that it can free people is that you, it's, let's say the kid comes up with a stupid idea like a ping pong-a-thon, right? And he goes, this would be great. Instead of going, oh, that's stupid or that's good, you ask the kid, how does that fit in with the big picture? And if the kid can give a rationale of how it fits in with the big picture, with our, our overall, then you can release because they get it. They make that connection. So it's different than all the planning steps. It's more of this overarching umbrella that covers what you do and becomes the filter for how you interpret what things you should do and shouldn't do. That's great. And certainly there's steps that go into that strategic planning. That first step you list is designing the plan. And this looks at where you are now, your scope and sequence, the involvement of parents and supportive adults, and evaluation. And some of these areas were covered with Dr. Dave Reeder and Dr. Heath Lewis, who came on to talk about philosophy of ministry, but you include something in this assessment that I think is helpful. Can you share a bit about how to consider resource options and history concerns as you design your strategic plan? Right. I think that particularly the resource component, um, when we think of resources, we're thinking of people, time, finances, space, any resource that you have at your disposal. Um, And it could also be other staff people within the church 
any type of resource. And there are some things that that some churches can just literally can't do. I mean, they, they might set up a vision for what they'd like to see happen. Um, by the way, just as a quick delineation, the mission is your overall purpose. It's what the church is about. It doesn't change. It's the same from early church till now. Uh, the vision is your specific picture of what in the next five years or so are we going to do that's going to give us the best possibility of achieving our mission most effectively. So as you look at that, you kind of make those determinations of what are our resources. I'll give you an example that people may be able to relate to. Uh, I think we all would agree that having a Lutheran parochial school is a great thing. It's a wonderful, a wonderful ministry that we can do. But there, there are 6,000 Lutheran congregations, LCMS congregations. There aren't 6,000 schools. Well, why not? Because not every church has got the resources to carry out that distinctive ministry. And so uh, how your youth ministry looks is dependent on what resources do you have available that you can actually use and, and access. Um, it doesn't mean that, that um, those other ideas for some ministry options are, are bad ideas. It just means that they may have a different resource uh, um, uh, source for their, for their use. Um, and then when it comes to the history of a congregation, this is the, I, the more I've watched this and the more I visit different congregations, the more I see that youth ministry, the history of a youth ministry program can really impact what you are capable of doing. Even if, and sometimes even more, if, the, if previous um, youth ministry efforts have been hugely successful, um, the next person comes in and the expectation is, well, you can just replicate what was done before. And, and yet, one of the main ingredients, the resource that always changes in the formula, are the students themselves. So there could have been a class seven years ago that really excelled at any number of leadership roles that are no longer available as a resource to a planner today. And because of that, they really cannot replicate an exact duplicate of what happened seven years earlier. But if the congregational expectations are that's what youth ministry looks like, that historical piece, then it's very difficult for the youth minister or the lay person that's carrying this out or the DCE to be able to, to do what really should be done in that time frame because there's this tie-in, this connection and ownership of some previous experience that is no longer replicable. And those of us that have been around long enough know that uh, Walther League was a little bit like that. There was the mention of, why don't we do what we did in Walther League? Well, because we don't have the circuit connections and the church involvement and the youth numbers and the leadership and the, none of that was there. We can't just replicate it out of thin air, but that history drove a lot of people's agendas. And so, so knowing what happened and knowing where you've got to start and what where you got to move the needle to is critical. I think it's so important to help people think through, like, it's okay to say those things out loud. These are the resources we have. This is the abilities that we have in the context that we're in. And this is the history. And uh, just because we're not doing it the same way we used to doesn't mean that the way we used to do it wasn't was wrong, right? Uh, part of that planning is saying, like, what's going to work for us in this moment right now? Um, and not necessarily uh, always trying to keep the same thing going. Because like you said, 
uh, always getting new young people, hopefully through your youth ministry. And I think you did a great job in the chapter of trying to give some steps to how you balance that strategic planning with the the input for young people and how you kind of go back and forth through that. Uh, so what are some things to remember when you're trying to balance youth input with kind of your bigger ministry goals and planning? Yeah, um, it's critical to get the youth involved in the planning. Again, that helps them to see themselves as resources and contributors, not just recipients of some program, which I don't think that's very biblical. <laughs> I just don't see that anywhere. And Jesus worked with the disciples. I think that they were integral to the process. And so there you go. I, you know, if we want to replicate that, but the leadership does uh, provide the filter for things. So the leadership has to be able to, when ideas are generated, when involvement is sought out, uh, when there's input that's being put together, the leadership has to be able to say, okay, how do we filter this in light of our overall strategy, our overall planning? And everything is to be filtered through that lens to some degree. And so the leadership is deciding what are the, the key needs right now that will take us to where we're going to end up. Um, and then how do we uh, manage those other ideas and the other input? So um, it, it's critical that the leadership have the understanding of where are we headed, because in doing that, they'll be able to better filter ideas and input, as well as involvement of, of students in events, what events are important. Why are we doing what we're doing? So uh, critical that the, the way that I always try and make it easiest for anybody and this is a simple thing that usually gives people clarity is um, for the leadership to determine how do we want someone to be different after participating in our youth ministry program for four, six years, whatever time they're in there. Um, and, and I, uh, you know, we're talking about discipleship formation. That's kind of clear from much of the research. That's what people say is, is what youth ministry should be focused on. Okay, so what does... Imagine you've got Johnny and he is not, he's an active member in the church. He's going to worship. Um, his parents are members. They're active. There's stuff happening in the home. Um, but he doesn't go to your youth events or youth activities. And meanwhile, you've got Jane. She's also active, has all that, but she does participate in the youth events. Okay. How, how are John and Jane going to be different at the end of that four years? And if you can't delineate how they're going to be different, then don't have a youth program. It's, it's not biblical that, that you have to have this. So if there's no difference in Jane after four years of participation, active participation in the youth ministry, then she didn't get anything from it. And, and, and if there is a definitive difference between what she knows, understands, or can do, then you know that's your product, that's your end end goal, and then everything's filtered from that is where we want to aim at. That's what we want to do. How is it getting someone closer to that end goal? I know it seems works righteous related. It's really not it's education related. Every education project always has an objective that they're aiming towards. So, But for anybody, just sitting down, if you're a lay person sitting down with the pastor and saying, hey, what do you think a uh, an active, growing, maturing disciple at age 18 should be able to know, think, and feel, and do. What does that look like? Pastor gives you a list of nine things. Great. There's your product. That's your end goal. That's where you're aiming at. 
It does not take a uh, uh, consultant and all sorts of resources and things. Just talk, talk it out and see where it goes. Well, I think the, the beautiful thing of having those conversations too, not just in your youth ministry, is it then has those conversations to the wider church too, that hopefully kind of all your oh, yeah. educational opportunities, ministries are having those same conversations and hopefully some alignment, not just in your youth ministry, but in yeah. all your, what your congregation's doing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. In adult ed, we've got people who have attended pastors adult class for 14 years and I call them constipated Christians because there's a lot going in, but there ain't nothing coming out, right? <laughs> and so um, that, that's, it, it, what's the goal? They're, they're enjoying their time with pastor. Is that the goal? Great, that's fine. But are you supposed to be producing something that they're capable of knowing better, doing, feeling differently or doing differently? And that's kind of what education focuses on. Great. Well, I have to think that through like all those things you do, hearing your stories from your youth and now putting this connection together is something that you wrote in your chapter. I know, I'm sure this brought you great joy. And you talk in your chapter about how the vast majority of the students you work with in the DC program were mentored into leadership in their congregation. So how does including youth in leadership during their teenage years from their leadership in the church, connect with their leadership church in the future? You know your story, but how else have you seen that in the lives of others in your uh, ministry and your time also well as shaping DCEs? Yeah, this is critical. I mean, this is a, a critical point uh, that uh, oftentimes we talk about the drop-off after high school, right? The decline in participation. And we know that the young adults, uh, 18 to 30, is one of the lowest participation uh, periods for folks. But what we, we, we design that. We, we, in many ways, we, we plan for that to happen, although we're not planning, but we end up at their, in their high school years, delivering them a program, right? We're going to, you know, now come to this, now come to this, now you need to come to this. And we deliver all these products to them all the time. And then they finish senior high with no preparation about taking on their own journey or leading in the church, they've had no prep in that, but we tend to say either through the, the lack of discussion or because we actually do say this, well, you're an adult now, so you need to do this. You need, well, where did they learn that? Where'd they ever get that? So it is essential. And, and my experience is I, every year I ask our upper level students, how many of you were involved in some level where you were released and there was some leadership given to you as a part of your your uh, high school years. Every time it's 90 to 95% of the students. Uh, it is, it's a critical component. And I think, I think here's a fear that I have, Mark, at this point is that I think we're going to even see less of this in the future because the church, uh, the level of risk aversion in churches is increasing exponentially. Right. And whenever you're releasing to teens, you are taking a risk. It's just there, right? And so as we get more and more and more risk averse, which I frankly, I don't think risk aversion is compatible with spreading the gospel. I don't think it's compatible with what the church's role is. I think it's just bad. But anyway, I mean, some level of risk aversion, we don't want people getting sued right and left. But um but when we're when we are more and more risk averse, we're going to be less likely to release to people. And you just and I'm telling you, the church does not need more people thinking that it's their job to sit and get something given to them from the church. 
that is not the answer for church growth and, and healthy church in the future. But I fear that's what's going to happen. So youth, youth leaders, you know, wherever you can, you release as much as you possibly can, uh, especially if you're doing the filtering process within strategic planning, you release as much as you can to the people that you're ministering with, and that is the, the youth that you're involved with. I, I can remember well uh, at a conference we had a uh, uh, practitioner spoke up and said that one thing that changed their youth ministry about how to connect with their kids and to, like I said, release them and give them responsibility was when when my 16-year-old youth are coming to me and say, the church doesn't care about me, you know, like I close down McDonald's every night. I'm responsible for that. And I can't do anything in the church. I'm not given any responsibility that yeah. they're like, oh, we completely shaped what we did. When like, we want the church to be the place that's encouraging them to be leaders and understand vocation. And here they're getting more of that out in the world than in the church. And they completely flipped how they talked about that in their ministry. Yeah, I think that was me that said that, Mark, at that meeting. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, always use the, I always use the McDonald's ex- example What's because I've had kids that have been. Okay. It might seven, have been. Yeah, they've been 17-year-olds and they go, um, hey, I got to manage the till. I'm in charge of three volunteers. We're working with a fat fryer that could burn out your skin off in a minute, you know, if you accidentally do it wrong. And I go to church and they tell me, well, you're too old to acolyte. You know, you, I mean, as low level as that is, most high schoolers can't acolyte. What's, what else do they do? They don't have anything. And yet they're told that this is the most important aspect of your life. But yet, yeah, we don't want you to do anything. It's just de- it's, it's wholly detrimental to, to do an effective youth ministry. And it just can't be consistent with any, in my mind, I, I'm sorry, I speak with broad generalizations. I don't know how you could have 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 that be consistent with an idea that we're doing discipleship formation. I mean, Jesus let the 70 go out, just kind of like, hey, go out, do some stuff, come back and talk about it. What the heck? And, and so where do we build that in? You know, and, and we forget that the disciples were young. I mean, they're, you know, 17, 18, 19, they're, they're fitting into this. We got people going into the military at 18 given million dollar equipment and, and saying, hey, other people's lives are at risk, but at church you can't be in charge of a fundraiser? I mean, come on, let's, let's, we gotta we gotta get the picture here. That's something that needs to get some reality going, so. Well, and I don't think it's a surprise that every time we ask somebody who comes on the podcast, tell us about you know a, a critical experience in your youth ministry, that most often when they're talking about leadership, they're like, well, my youth leader let me do this really risky thing, yeah. right? Exactly. Or took this big risk on me, right? Um, you know, we talk about that all the time. I, I could do that in my own story, like, right? Like they took a big risk on me uh, and, and that paid off in not just that moment and not just for that congregation, but for every future congregation where that person went on to serve. And for those that are, are called youth work or called workers now, like it, it push them into full-time ministry. And so yeah, I don't think we beautiful. can uh, ignore that that's a, a through line in a lot of these stories yeah, is yeah. churches that were willing to take that risk um, on young people. Just to follow up on that real quickly, I think it's because not, not, I think it's because it's, it's essential if you're developing disciples. I think that this, you know, running plays and actually doing stuff with your faith journey is it's not, the outcome that you're aiming at, it's a part of the process of becoming. It's its essential to get you to where you need to be. And so it's not just coincidental, it is essential part of if we're going to develop disciples, 
including adults, right? It's an adult, adults fit into this too. So. No, great thoughts. Uh, so we're talking to a lot of lay leaders on the podcast uh, who are looking at, at strategic planning. Maybe this is all a little bit overwhelming for them uh, as they're, they're trying to think about how we create a strategic plan for their youth ministry. If you had a piece of advice or a first step for a lay leader who's listening, uh, who's not sure where to start on this, where would you have them start or where, what kind of advice would you give? Have some essential conversations on how do we want Johnny to be different after participating in our youth ministry program for four years. It's a simple, simple thing. What I find though when I get into other congregations is it, it, it nobody's done it. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't. Nobody's asking that question, and uh, I just don't. I don't understand it. But but having those discussions. In fact, if you'd have disagreements about how Johnny should be different, that's great. That's yeah. extremely healthy. So the, for the lay person who's going, man, I, I'm already putting five hours a week into this and I'm working full time and I got three kids at home and stuff. Just ask the students, what do you think this program should accomplish? How do you want to be different? How should people be different after participating in this? Talk to your pastor, go to the scriptures for heaven's sakes. You know, what? what is it that, you know, are the fruits of the spirit? Is that how they're to be different? Are they, you know, what does it look like? There's all sorts of scriptural references um, that give you clarity about here's what a disciple should be able to, you know, even to go into Timothy and to look at the um, definitions of what a um, what a pastor should have and what overseers should have. What are those characteristics and are we working towards those? And once that gets ingrained in people's heads, it becomes really not that difficult to look at everything you do and go, okay, well, tell me how this is going to get us there. And if they can't, and there may be those times where you go, look, we're just going to go down and do some snipe hunting because it's just funny. Yeah, we just think <laughs> it's funny. Let's just do it. Great. Go do that. But don't be expending, you know, 70% of your youth group budget to do a snipe hunt um, when you, I'm, I'm probably aging myself here or speaking my age. I don't know if it, anybody even knows what that is anymore, but um, don't do all your energy on those things. How are you going to put the predominance of your energy on, on the things that are most important to get Johnny to where you want him to be at the end of four years? So much great stuff in both the chapter and in this conversation with you. I really hope people uh, take the time to really take those things to heart and to consider how that might um, impact just kind of the next steps that they have as they think through uh like you said, what, what they want their young people to look like at the end of, of youth ministry. And as they um, think about how we can take some risks on some young people um, in that Big part risk. of that as a part of discipleship. No. So really powerful things. So thank you so much for joining us uh, and for being a part of the conversation. Thanks for the opportunity and you guys, and thanks for the work that you both do and, and the rest of your team. What a wonderful gift you are to the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I hope uh, folks are appreciative of that. Strategic planning can be a wonderful way for us to both get meaningful input from youth and to engage them in leadership opportunities. Uh, both of those are parts of the seven practices of healthy youth ministry and incredibly valuable, as you heard us talk about, uh, for young people to both feel like they are heard, that they're listened to, that they're respected, that they're trusted, and also that they have the ability to to try new things and to lead within that uh, within that context. You don't really need a program to make that happen. It's often just a matter of trust and release uh, to help them serve and use their gifts and skills. And that can feel really risky, 
But God uses those opportunities to develop young leaders who can serve and grow in in the church for a lifetime. So when planning can be a powerful tool in the end, it's God's work and it's his gospel we proclaim. I appreciate Dr. Blanke's message about how planning keeps us focused on the end goal of your ministry. We say on the podcast that our end goal is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. In your contest, you might have more specific end goals that align with discipling young people and your planning can help bring clarity and cohesiveness to your programs, your activities, and those interactions. And in your own way, you are, you articulate your hope for how the Holy Spirit will use your congregation's resources to help young people grow and be transformed by Jesus. And it's a wonderful conversation about how young people think and they live and they love differently from when they start in your ministry to the end. It's always great when a guest says end goals. It's like when somebody in a movie uh, right. says the title as a part of the script. Um, it feels it feels right, and that's ultimately like you know, I love that. That's that's why we called it end goals. Is so there is that end goal that we have, and it's not just youth ministry for youth ministry sake, but we want young people to be disciples for life. Uh, so some closing questions for you to consider as you do that: How can your strategic planning connect your philosophy of Christian education and your philosophy of youth ministry? and your volunteer recruitment and your teaching and support. Also, how are you incorporating youth's input into your strategic planning and engaging them in leadership opportunities? And then how do you want youth to be different after they've been in your youth ministry? What kinds of decisions do you need to make or risks do you need to take in order to get them there? We will continue to keep you in our prayers as you go about strategic planning for your ministry and answering hard questions. There's been a lot of challenging stuff in the last few episodes, and I know that that can kind of seem overwhelming. Thinking about philosophy and teaching and volunteer recruitment and setting goals can all feel a little out of reach when you're just trying to keep your kids connected to the church and to God's word in some way. Know that this doesn't rest on you. Even our best laid plans don't earn a salvation or guarantee that young people are going to stay in the faith. Ultimately, youth ministry is God's work, and it's always a good reminder that uh, even our best laid plans can go off course, but we have a God who works powerfully through us and sometimes despite us. So uh, go knowing that God is working in and through you, that God is uh, going to powerfully work in and through his word uh, to, to care for the young people, uh, and every little step you make can make a big change. End Goals Podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFU Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfu.org slash youth ministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church. Mm-hmm.